Welcome to the Open Assembly Podcast. I'm your host, John Windsor, and in this episode, I chat with Steve Rader. Steve is the Deputy Director for the Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation at NASA. He's also one of the world's top evangelists for using open talent to solve problems. In his role, he helps facilitate and promote the use of collaborative innovation platforms such as crowd-based communities, challenges, and crowdsourcing for supporting development projects across the United States government. I've known Steve for many years, and every time I chat with him, I always leave the conversation inspired to do more. I hope you feel the same way after listening to this interview with NASA's Steve Rader. Hey, this is Steve Rader from NASA. Steve, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm the Deputy Director for NASA's Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation. We're a small group that works across NASA and across the whole federal government to really try to help organizations use and learn to use what we call open innovation, open talent. And largely contracts are around crowdsourcing and freelance work, trying to really show folks how to use those to effectively kind of amp up their productivity, their innovation, their bang for the buck. Awesome. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of a two-sided network, right? So on our provider side, we are connecting with what we call curated crowds. These are commercial communities mostly who have basically stood up a platform, usually on the web, where they've reached out to a community of users. So for instance, Top Coders, 1.5 million software developers and data scientists. Tongle is, you know, 100,000 filmmakers, freelancers, 45 million freelance workers that can do all sorts of stuff. And then there's problem solving crowds like Innocentive, HeroX. And those all do different things and use the crowds in different ways to produce products that we at NASA really could use, whether that's a solution to a hard-to-solve problem, a new data science algorithm. And the other side of our network is really the projects around the agency and around the federal government that could really benefit from the latest and greatest skills, as well as some of the, the things that you can really only get with crowdsource challenges. So what we're seeing is the open platforms are providing matching of solutions to problems in some really unique ways. And the world today is is much, much more complicated, a lot more technology, a lot more skills that are coming on board every day. And the, the methods to find the skills to do that or to find those solutions, to find those technologies has really kind of fallen behind. Our traditional methods just don't work. You can't Google the latest and greatest technology. You can't just go hire easily folks that can help you with this. And so what we found is crowds and crowd platforms are really great ways to do that. So on the freelance side, these platforms provide matching using machine learning algorithms that understand who that labor is and what they can do. And some of them are very, very highly skilled and specialized, and they're collecting lots of data about those people. So then they can use things like machine learning to find exactly who you need, when you need them, you engage them for however much time you need, and then they go on to their next project and you go on to to yours. In the case of really hard problems, what we've found is 
you've already applied expertise to that problem and you haven't been able to solve it. And that's where a crowdsource challenge becomes really interesting, a prize-based challenge where you put a really big prize, but you put it out there to a specific crowd that specializes in solving that kind of a problem. And what you find is the diversity of the crowd is applied in a way to really find you that unique solution, that person that can kind of connect the dots between knowledge and skills and technologies that are out in the world and connect those back to what you are looking for. And that's been really, really handy for us. And we have lots of examples where the solution already existed. It was just in some other industry. And we couldn't have recognized it even if we saw it in a presentation because we didn't speak the language of agriculture or medicine or wherever that came from. But someone else that does understand a little bit about our domain and a little bit about theirs, they're able to do that translation and find those solutions. And sometimes it's people that are just connecting the dots in the innovative ideas that you need, right? And sometimes those are simple and sometimes those are really complex. And so I guess at the highest level, the crowd is able to really provide us those solutions we need and oftentimes much, much faster and much better than we've been able to do traditionally. And so that's been exciting as well is to, especially for a government entity like us where we have a fixed budget and trying to do amazing things is it gives us a bigger bang for our buck because we have a lot more on our plate than we could possibly do with the budgets we have. So we have to find ways to do things better, faster, cheaper. Yeah, that's a great point. So I know you did some really interesting research with Lish Laboratory for Innovation Science at Harvard with those savings, right? The better, faster, cheaper. Can you just kind of give us a highlight on those? Oh my gosh, there's there's just so many different ways that we've been surprised at this phenomenon. We've done some challenges. We get a significant return. I think we've done 400, maybe 420 challenges to date over the last 10 years. And over those at NASA, we've had like a 94% success rate. So about a third of those totally solved, about a third significant advance towards a solution and about a third that was incremental. But 80% of those that we got cost data on showed a cost savings. And the average cost savings was 45%. And what they would often tell us is, yeah, this is how much it would have cost us if we had done this traditionally, which is the question we asked them. But then they would add on, but we never would have gotten a solution this great. Like, this is way better. And we've seen solutions where, you know, we're looking for a 2x and we get a 4x solution or in performance. So a lot of times we're getting solutions that are significantly better than we expected. I've been playing with different kinds of challenges at the, at the low end, right? The micro-purchase challenges. And I've found that I can get CAD work done for as much as 5% of what it would have taken for me to do that in-house. Like that's amazing. And all the while kind of using this to include the public in our mission, right? So we actually have a thing where we want to engage the public because they're very much fans of NASA. And this provides them a way where they don't just see what we do and wish they were us. They actually get to participate and help us. And I know one of the things I love about the project of COSI is that you got this big NASA at work, right? It's this way for people to connect internally, which is so powerful. It seems like so many companies are trying to figure out where that knowledge lies inside their companies. Yeah, and we've learned so much by talking to other folks, too, about what they've done and what we've done there. 
we actually have a community. So NASA total is about 60,000 if you include all of its civil servants and contractors, so the Lockheed Martins and the Boeing. And our internal crowd is currently 30,000. So we actually have almost half of the entire workforce on this community. And what we find is, is when we ask our internal community questions about, does anyone know how to do this? How do we solve this problem? Does anyone know about a technology that can help us here? What we find is it is an amazing enterprise knowledge sharing tool because large organizations, as everyone knows, are super siloed. And people talk about that being a bad thing. I actually think that's probably a good thing. People are heads down, working on getting their stuff done. And you honestly don't have time to tell everyone in the company what you're doing and why would they care, right? So there's these nuggets that need to be shared among silos. But if you try to do that in kind of a broadcast, people typically aren't very successful with that, right? But what we find is when we post a challenge or post a question out to our community, the dynamics go something like this. People get an email maybe two or three times a month that says, hey, we have an asset work challenge. Uh, In fact, we have three or four of them. Here they are. And we give them as kind of one-liners in the email. And most people that open that email, right, which is a challenge in and of itself just to get them to open the email. But when they do open the email, most of them will read through, scan through those four lines and immediately delete the email because they'll say to themselves, yeah, I don't know anything about this and I've got stuff to do. But that's okay. That's what we want them to do because then there's the other people that they open those emails and they read through and just one time out of 50, they're going to read one that says, you know, how do you deal with, you know, contamination in clean rooms under these conditions or something that they know about and they're working on. And then it's really kind of interesting. What we find is it's a little bit of an antibody response, right? Somebody hears Mm -hmm. that someone else is working on something that they've been working on. And they think to themselves, wait a second, I thought I knew everyone that was working on this. And they get a little defensive. And so they'll actually log onto the site. They'll, They'll say, have you talked to George about this? You know, do you know about this? And that actually starts to create collaborations, right? Because they they know who else is working this and they'll actually connect you with those people. We actually find we get really good coverage. And the benefit is we don't actually have to filter through a bunch of of non-relevant inputs. Almost all the inputs, we get about 20 to 40. In fact, there's a great example of this guy trying to find a better way to, to measure urine volume in gravity. In space, we deal with a lot of that gross stuff and small company to work up some solution. And he put it out and literally within like three weeks found that there was a solution. There was a prototype that was built for another reason. And that prototype was being developed in a lab 300 yards away from his office. Wow. And he had no idea. Right. And, and we see that over and over and over. So it's fascinating stuff. And we've learned a lot through that platform. I'll just add on a couple. I, I know I go on and on here, John. That's all I love. We've learned so much. Like we've met with a bunch of other people that have these kind of internal crowdsourcing efforts. And what we find the biggest mistake people make is standing up one of these platforms, like an idea scale or a bright idea or an innocent of at work platform. And the first thing they do, instead of actually learning how innovation and crowd curation works, they basically make it a suggestion box. And they've heard that all of their employees are innovative. And they basically say, we know you're all innovative. Give us your innovative ideas. And it actually turns out to be a horrible idea because 
you, if you're asking that broadcast question, what you'll find is your workforce is super anxious to give you all of their input. However, right. when it's unfocused like that and you don't have someone on the receiving side of those ideas ready to evaluate them, ready to focus them in a different domain, into a specific domain and implement that, what you find is you receive all this in, you have to then go find a bunch of subject matter experts to evaluate what you've got because you don't want to throw it away. It might have something valuable. Mm-hmm. You find out that 95% of it really isn't that valuable, but the mm-hmm. 5% that is is really hard to find. And then everyone gets frustrated. And you know, there's organizations we worked with that literally say they can't say the word innovation anymore because they've gone through this horrible experience with that. And it's so funny because we've had this amazing experience, right? but it really does take doing it right, understanding how the platforms work, understanding that if you're going to have a challenge, if you're going to ask an innovation question, you need to have the owner of that problem sitting on the receiving end of that, that has the expertise and the cycles to actually evaluate those inputs so that then they can take it and go. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction, right? Because a lot of mythology around open talent and crowdsourcing and open innovation is that you're going to get overwhelmed with bad ideas, right? There may be one awesome idea, but the idea of curating and going through all that stuff is really, really difficult. Well, let's, let's talk now about, the, you know, what's going on with the disruption of COVID and the current crisis. What are you seeing out there? What are you seeing in the context of the work you're doing inside NASA and inside the federal government? Are you getting more demand? Are people more interested in, in what COSI's doing or less demand? Yeah. It's hard to tell if it's COVID-driven or if it was coming already or, or what it is, but we literally right now have three times the number of challenges in our pipeline that we normally, we normally have between 20 and 30, and we're at almost 100 right now. Some of that is we've done some really successful kind of outreach to, to kind of pull. And then some of it is I think people are looking for, hey, I've got to make progress. I can't get my team in together. We're all remote. How do we still make progress on our projects? So we're getting more interest, hopefully, that way. And we're getting a lot of federal government agencies also using this. So I'm always very encouraged when I see our federal government doing things right. I get to interact with people from a ton of different agencies, and they're all really smart and really wanting to do things right. So that's an exciting area, too. But yeah, the COVID thing is fascinating because we're really starting to move from the open innovation piece of crowdsourcing, which has kind of been our bread and butter and core. And we're moving into the use of freelance work. And in fact, the new contract that we're going to start up in June is going to have a whole bunch of capacity in this open talent and the ability to find an expert and use them kind of as needed. And we're really excited about that. And that actually has, you know, you and I've been seeing that all over in these communities where Suddenly, all of these open talent communities have a lot more activity going on as companies are having to do more with less and they're having to lay off people, but they still have to get the work done. This new contingent labor is an easy way to kind of start onboarding people. And on the worker side, you know, people already had a, a toe, you know, something like half of all of the U.S. had some activity in the gig economy. And, you know, a third of, of folks were actually doing quite a bit. In that kind of work, they already saw that they could make money in kind of these off tasks in their off world using some of their talents. And I think as work has kind of compressed for them and they don't have as many cycles being demanded of them of their regular job, they're looking to that gig economy as a way to supplement their income. And 
I think people are catching on that, that the gig economy is the place where you go learn. It right. is where lifelong learning takes place, where people can engage in doing. A lot of people ask me, why are these people all participating in these communities and doing crowdsource challenges when it's a bunch of wasted work? Right. And I said, like, it's not wasted work. Yeah. Like for them, they actually got to try out a new skill and to try out putting an idea out there. And they're gaining all sorts of experience from that. And in these communities, they typically get lots of feedback. They see what they did wrong. And it's it's a learn by doing in a low stress environment. We just finished a challenge with NIST on differential privacy. And it was this kind of researchy thing where uh, we got some really great results. And it changed the way that entire research is now being done. But one of the things we got was one of the competitors came back and said, yeah, I'm actually a researcher in this area, but this challenge allowed me to actually try things that my supervising lab had successful, but they're not allowed to in their core job. And these kind of platforms let people explore kind of the limits of what they can do. And in the end, it makes them more valuable. I love that. I think that's super smart. Hey, so what would you say to leaders who are struggling kind of not only with the current crisis, but you know, they've got to digitally transform themselves and get started in kind of the adoption of open, to, open, open talent? Like, you know, what, you, what are your top three things for kind of open talent exploration 101? Yeah. Well, you know, we live in a time that just has change coming at a rate that's just unfathomable. And I think people aren't appreciating how much of a change is coming fast and furious, and how much in peril they are if they don't act. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is there's lots of different areas people need to be concerned about. That If you haven't been keeping up with your enterprise architecture, if you haven't been understanding where machine learning is going, if you're not up on digital, you're really in trouble. And then on top of that, we're talking about these labor trends, which are coming that are going to upset the apple cart, and you're not going to be able to find the talent you need without going to these new resources. And so I think if you look at that big, expansive, confusing, complex picture, what I see is if you're going to focus on one area, focus on open innovation and open talent, because that's how you're going to access the latest and greatest skills that will help you with the digitization, with the enterprise architecture, with the machine learning, with all of the things. You know, I, I love Kareem Lakani's book and Marco Ipsosati's book on competing in the age of AI, because I think they really lay out, hey, you're going to need to really understand what the digital backbone looks like, and you're going to have to understand how these new labor markets work if you're going to be around. And what I love is we now live in a world where if you need someone to come in, you don't have to go hire a super expensive consultant. You can actually go hire from a BTG or a Maven or a top top, someone who has experience, even executive experience, right? That you can pull in and start to help you get this. And then when you get to the nuts and bolts of data science, you don't have to go hire a whole new data science department of 50 people. You can hire a nice core of three or four and then run competitions and engage experts and hire talent uh, out of the gig economy. And I think those are the kinds of new ways of doing business that once you do some simple pilot projects, you start to see where things might be able to go, how things might be able to progress, and you can build on that experience and really start to build a program. Don't try to eat the elephant in one serving, right? It's, it's bite at a time. And I think it's 
finding those right pilots that then you can build on and make a strategy that, that starts to get you covered in all of the changes, which are many and vast, right? That's awesome. Well, it seems like, you know, Open Talent 101 is actually Digital Transformation 101. You right. need to expand your knowledge and expand your team to tackle kind of the, the elephant, right? The best thing yeah. to do is do it one bite at a time. And then the first bite is, is to tackle the open talent scenario. Let me add one thing. I do yeah. want to say Harvard, the Laboratory for Innovation Science says that Harvard just came out with that really great matching tool where you can kind of put in, here's the kind of open talent I need, and it'll show you which platforms provide that. I think that's a super great starting point. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really great. Yeah. Hey, Steve, thanks a lot for sharing knowledge with us today. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to go on this journey of open talent. Really appreciate your insights. And I know we get the chance to talk a lot and always inspiring. So thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. This was great.